0: Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And we have with us a VM nerd, security nerd, Brian Hugenbrook. How's it going?
1: Not too
2: bad. (laughs) Uh, Hi, Frank. Hi, Jeff. I believe you are a top-tier Terminal Talk listener as well. I may be a long-time listener uh, and glad now also to be a client. Wow. Which means that now the uh, Terminal Talk uh, Twitter account will follow you. Excellent. <laughs> that's that's
0: the payment you get. At last. <laughs> Just what you've been waiting for, I'm sure. <laughs> so, a uh, uh, VM security nerd. Mm-hmm. So, what do you do as a VM security nerd?
2: <laughs> well, a lot of people ask me that question. <laughs> well, what I do is I... Try to uh, lock down uh, the hypervisor platform. Try to take that uh, native uh, virtualization technology that uh, other longtime listener, Bill Binder, has talked about on on this show, and make sure that it's uh, ready for enterprise. Uh, Try to make sure that no one can tunnel underneath it to get at your data, come in from the side to get at your data. Uh, We have things like uh, RACF and ATTLS on on the platform. So think of me as a a combination Mark Nelson, Nisha Powers type. Hold on. I'm still picturing that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Almost there. Hold on. All right. That's an interesting mix. Yes, yeah. An interesting mix. And if you're not sure who they are, you're going to have to go back and listen to earlier episodes.
2: This might be a deep cut kind of an episode. <laughs> He's making references all over the place. <laughs> That's
0: awesome.
1: Um, Speaking of references, can you kind of give like a refresher for somebody who might be new to the podcast on what VM is all about or more uh, technically correct,
2: ZVM? Yes. So ZVM, previously uh, VM390, previously VM370, previously a whole bunch of other things. (laughs) Is a uh, the uh, the first virtualization technology. It grew up on the System Three Hundred and Sixty. Came out uh, as the control program in nineteen sixty seven, and was made to take the what is now the Z architecture and uh, faithfully replicate that architecture in a way that uh, could allow for overcommitment in between multiple operating system instances.
0: And that's pretty important because a key part of the way VM works on on the mainframe. Is that in overcommitment, right? Mm-hmm. Most nobody's nobody puts together a system that just uses what's there.
2: Yeah, if you're not overcommitting, you're not trying.
0: <laughs> you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. So, you you're a security guy in this space, though.
2: Yeah, which lends itself to uh, some interesting challenges because I'm taking things that aren't real. And yet going really fast <laughs> and trying to make sure that they're, they're encrypted, there are appropriate access control lists and uh, security labels on all those kinds of things. So what does the uh, security architecture look like in a, in a VM, VM type system? Well, so uh, we start with uh, the hypervisor itself, uh, that, uh, the kernel, if you will. And make sure that that's uh, only providing things the, to which you should be allowed access, uh, access to uh, either real or logical or simulated or virtual types of devices. We, we've got them all. <laughs> uh, but you shouldn't have them all. And we want to make sure that those, you know, stay separated. And that's from a user group type standpoint? Uh, yeah. Uh, building up uh, ACLs that will uh, block out uh, access to devices you should not have access to and uh, enforcing... Uh, a logical separation between those devices, because when we talk about security, we usually mention integrity in the same breath, and we don't want to have any kind of data bleed through down at the system level.
0: Now, do you you have um, security ratings on VM as well, right?
2: We do. Uh, first one I think was in 1988, a little bit before my time with IBM. The uh, most recent one was uh, the operating system protection profile with both labeled security and virtualization extensions at a rating of EAL 4 plus.
0: EAL? E- e- ah.
2: he <laughs> warned you. The, <wore> the, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The evaluation assurance level, uh, it's a common criteria certification terminology which shouldn't be confused with a security level in and of itself. It just represents the size of the pile of proof that we delivered to the evaluators to indicate here's how serious we are about all those claims we made.
0: And that's a government rating, right? Uh,
2: yeah. It's uh, – well, the, the CCRA, the common criteria uh, authorities are a group of uh, 20-something nations that have all gone together and made a common uh, <laughs> context of security for a whole bunch of different types of technologies, so that if, say, the uh, the French or the Germans or the Canadians or the Italians evaluate a given product, uh, the United States or other member com- uh, countries will recognize that.
0: And so, uh, this is what was the level of EAL of the
2: the assurance level is four plus. Okay, where, where the plus means we can also ship security-related service to ZVM. They they evaluated our uh, our flaw remediation plan such that uh, just because you change the code level and say upgrade to uh, one of those new uh, Z15s, I hear so much about <laughs> um, you, your security level doesn't go away because of that.
0: You know we've been talking in 14 and 15 a lot about pervasive encryption and stuff like that. Is that a part of this?
2: It, it factors into that to some extent. Since uh, ZVM doesn't have uh, the uh, ICSF, the Integrated Cryptographic Service service Facility. facility. There we go. Teamwork, we guys. <laughs> Teamwork. <laughs> go team. <laughs> uh, we, we don't have uh, the infrastructure really for uh, persistent key management on ZVM itself. Uh, oftentimes that gets managed uh, by the guests themselves. Uh, in Linux, your ZOS, your uh, VSE, TPF, anything that's running on VM uh, either can have their own native solutions or hook into uh, things like SKLM or similar types of uh, key management products. Uh, what we hit, what we do have down at the ZVM layer for the hypervisor itself is uh, some encrypted paging. So it uh, uses ephemeral protected keys uh, to make sure that any data that your, your guests have decided, we don't want to think about that right now and have offloaded to the disk. Uh, that's uh, owned by the hypervisor, can't be looked at by any uh, nosy administrators. And of course, we also have uh, what ZOS calls ATTLS and what we call the TLS server uh, for encryption of traffic to or within the hypervisor layer itself. Not necessarily for the guests, but you do also have to encrypt uh, the traffic down at uh, the hypervisor layer.
1: Now, what kind of work gets typically run on a on a ZVM system in in one of our client shops? At the typical workload, okay. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that should be really easy.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, if you refer back to episode N featuring Romney White. <laughs> wow.
0: Wow. If he'd pulled the number out, I would have been really, really, <laughs> <Yeah>. really worried. <laughs> you could have just made it up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, Most commonly these days, it's uh, uh, Linux operating system workloads uh, running various combinations of uh, data processing, web serving, uh, cryptographic workloads, uh, web web services. Uh, You see things like uh, infrastructure as a service appearing on ZVM now uh, for folks who want to build their own on-prem cloud. You can host that on ZVM. Uh, While we don't host the uh, the blockchain service, uh, you can of course, install hyperledger fabric onto a Linux on-Z running on ZVM and build your own blockchain on on ZVM and I know of uh, a couple people who have done that.
0: You've been doing this for a while, right? Did, did Linux change um, the drive for security in, in ZVM?
2: Yeah, I, uh, quite a lot. Actually, uh, in the uh, olden days, uh, before Jeff's uh, time, uh, before my time also, <laughs> and you can put it in the speaker notes. I used air quotes around <laughs> ye olden yes. days,
0: let the record show.
2: Uh, Virtual machines usually represented a human user. So uh, Brian or Jeff or Frank would have their own VM user ID with their own password. Uh, You would log on, you would get your own uh, 191 workspace disk, Uh, do your work from there, use a uh, VM-provided email client to send uh, notes back and forth to everyone else who happened to be on that VM system. So it was very communally organized. When we made the shift to Linux on Z back in 2000 or so, then we started seeing a, uh, it, a less personal touch, if you will, because Linux, you know, because it's designed to be built around instantiations of uh, very specific golden images, and you deploy workloads that are uh, less human, frankly, they're, they're technical users, another quote. Then uh, the security needs change around that. You don't necessarily have to have bespoke security policy for Linux guest per se. You can use more generic RACF policies. You can do a more general uh, type of password management. We lean a lot more on the uh, the surrogate class or uh, log on by in a native VM parlance in order to. Uh, Take away this notion that a Linux guest wouldn't even need its own VM password. I mean, you, sure, you have one of those when you SSH into it, but you don't need a second one to get in from the, the hypervisor level. Right. You just uh, log, on, uh, log on Linux 2 by Jeff, use your own mm-hmm. password, and then connect from there.
1: Yeah, having access to the underlying ZVM is kind of like just being in the same room as all the servers running Linux guests. Pretty much, and uh, not everybody likes it when you do that. No, no, (laughs) I I can imagine why not. But that whole concept of um, what is a user in VM when you deal with virtual machines Mm
2: -hmm. kind of gets confusing sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, and I've started using human user versus technical user to try to draw that distinction, and people look at me a little funny. Mm -hmm. even now, and, and not just because of that, but <laughs> <laughs> you can't blame it all on VM.
0: <laughs> but but this is kind of an important point, right, is that uh, in the olden days, um, VM was was much more personal. Mm-hmm. But now – but even then though, there were a lot of service machines that kind of ran things in in the environment. Is this an extension of that or do you see kind of the – driving Linux stuff is more than just a set of service machines?
2: Uh, well, I mean it's a, a little bit of both. You figure that uh, what we call the service virtual machines, uh, things like uh, RecF or Dermaint or TCPIP or uh, any of the uh, the performance monitoring tooling you can acquire out there to help manage your system, uh, those you – know, because they impact hypervisor management rather specifically. Uh, we kind of draw the cryptographic boundary, the security policy boundaries around those things. Whereas a a Linux guest as a workload kind of off chugging along doing its own thing has a slightly separate context. And when we do the common criteria evaluations, we we do Linux separately. Uh, You know, they're not, you know, we we acknowledge that we'll be running a workload Mm -hmm. but don't necessarily (laughs) make any claims about uh, just what the heck you're doing in there because VM. it shouldn't be looking and doesn't really care. So you're normally uh, an Endicott guy. I am. IBM lab number one. <laughs> uh, what brings you uh, down to Poughkeepsie this week? I am here for the IBM Systems Crypto and Security Council. Are we- you presenting at it? I, I, I have been and, and will be. <laughs> so what, what kind of stuff are you talking about? Uh, well, the, earlier I was talking about things that exist in the real world today. Uh, so that sounds the, like fun. Uh, well, <laughs> Bosses, it, <laughs> trees, <laughs> the sun. My dog. <laughs> well, uh, in, in fact uh, – <laughs> don't, look, don't take the sun for granted. I come from Endicott.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> what I was really talking about in addition to the sun and the weather was uh, <laughs> uh, recent news in ZVM security and uh, crypto. So we, we talked a bit about uh, encrypted paging. We talked a bit about the TLS server, how that stands Uh changes we're making to make it easier, and uh, talked about uh, dynamic crypto support, which is something new that came out as part of uh, the Z15 uh, package of uh, service that we just dropped. Oh, so ZVM got some fancy new stuff with Z15 as well? Well, of course it did. Of course it, it did. It, it, Why wouldn't it? Well, I mean, you, know, you figure uh, we have to virtualize all the underlying architecture, and uh, that does include all the crypto that we provide, and uh, that is something that uh, factored quite heavily into the, the Z15. So. Of course we had to be there for that. As long as we were there, uh, we delivered a, a long-standing request to enable dynamic, uh, very on, very off of cryptographic devices. So You, t- um, you take those uh, Crypto Express adapters and you attach them to your VM system and you could dole them out either uh, for exclusive use by a Linux guest or let the hypervisor manage a few and just let them uh, make crypto go fast for a subset of users. But if you made any changes down at the LPAR level, VM or Linux or your guests may not have picked that up. And no one really wants to have to force an IPL of any part of the stack. You kind of want to know where all your keys are and, (laughs) you know, how they're managed. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I'm sure it was on a Post-it note somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) But but until the IPL happened, uh, you weren't going to know about it. And uh, with the new support, it's not only uh, getting auto-detected, but you can make changes at the VM level without uh, disrupting the Linux guest or having to re-IPL the VM system as you add in new cards, take some away, change their uh, crypto mode, say from uh, Accelerator to EP11. Uh, (laughs) If you want to go for the the blockchain route and uh, you need those EP11 domains, then uh, you can do all this stuff without having to uh, take the outage anymore.
0: So do I, I'm, I'm a little bit confused in, in that picture, what you basically said that VM automatically realizes that this guest or this set of guests now has this new uh, environment. Do I have to – still have to re-IPL the Linux to make that work? No.
2: In fact, uh, part of the support was a tighter integration uh, not only with – between VM and the hardware but between VM and the Linux guest such that uh, Linux will now tolerate these kinds of changes and and they weren't bad at it before but they're even better at picking up these things now.
0: So is that changes that you guys had to write into Linux drivers or –
2: I mean, the Linux support uh, you know we, we kind of made sure that uh, you know, the Linux folks knew about this quite some time ago, so you know it was fairly well anticipated, I think, in terms of getting the support out the door. The hard part was doing uh, <laughs> was rolling up our sleeves, popping up the hood and uh, rewiring things down at the VM level. So do the crypto cards know that
1: they're talking to uh, any number of virtualized Linux instances,
2: or where does the um, where does the twist happen <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, well, I mean they're, they're aware that they're, talk, they're talking to an uh, LPAR and uh-huh. LPAR is going to be running a workload. Right. It, it, it could be ZOS, it could be native Linux, it could be VM and it will be up to that operating system in order to uh, communicate, send messages back and forth to the crypto cards. Uh, what VM does an awful lot of times is simulate devices inside of the hypervisor kernel such that uh, when a Linux guest tries to talk to something. Be a DASD network, a crypto device. Mm-hmm. It, it talks to the the one that we've put in the way first, and a lot of this is you know fairly standard pass-through support and building in a uh, a flexibility for those uh, simulated devices is what drives the uh, the benefit here because we can you know pop those out, change it, change them around, flip them over, reverse them, and then we're like pretty. Like Missy Elliott, exactly like Missy Elliott. <laughs>
1: So I don't I don't really see what the whole big deal about crypto and security and all this stuff is, because if I'm running a Linux on Z hardware, it's just going to be inherently more secure. So do I do I really need all this stuff? And now I'll back away from the microphone.
0: <laughs> Sir, shame on you. I'm sure that's sacrilege. I'm sure that's sacrilege. Really?
2: <laughs> well it. Yes, I mean, it, it, it is uh, certainly a whole lot more securable by virtue of the fact that it's running on Z or running on Linux 1, uh, pick your uh, your choice of Stripe on the outside of the box. All of the uh, the inherent security does come with the a slight caveat. Uh, ZVM, along with ZOS, shipped what we called the uh, security and integrity statements, I think first back in like 1973, the really olden days, <laughs> mm-hmm. whereupon we said, if you configure ZVM or ZOS the right way... We, IBM stands behind that. We will guarantee it, like Joe Namath style. That um, you might have to explain you had, that. You had to line. do
0: Joe Namath style because he was the football player back then. That's why.
2: He, he guaranteed he would win the Super Bowl. Yeah. You're not supposed to do that sort of thing.
0: Oh, okay. Because <laughs> he might lose.
2: Did, did they? <laughs> no, they won't. They did not. Wow. Okay. <laughs> they, they, were, they were underdogs, that, in that, fact.
0: That was when his knees were still good.
1: You <laughs> never know what you're going to learn on this podcast. <laughs> Anyway, so the Joe Namath facility. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go like a nobody beats the wisdom. Uh...
2: <laughs> Dude, you've got a mainframe.
0: <laughs>
2: wow, where was I? Um,
0: the, How uh, did we get here? That's those, what I'm talking. That's from okay. the 70s. <laughs> the, okay, so okay, if you have like the like security guarantees. and a integrity statement, yeah. yes.
2: Um, the caveat lies in the phrase, if you configure it the right way. Right. Now, configuring in the right way means security, it means you have to turn on the security options. You can't just leave RACF sitting there to the side of the mainframe. You actually have to turn it on and configure it for use. And when we reaffirmed those statements back in 2006 for both products, IBM still guarantees it but you still have to configure it the right way and what gets lost in this idea that uh, Z as a securable platform is that sometimes you have to roll up your sleeves and do some work to get security implemented. And it's fantastic to have a a hardened Linux image running inside your ZVM system. It's uh, buying the world's most fantastic lock for your windows (laughs) of your house. Mm -hmm. Um, If you leave the garage door open, you're not necessarily going to drive a fantastic security benefit from all those (laughs) windows you just bought. No one's going to break in those windows, though. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not. They're not. But uh, it's not to say that uh, everything that was behind those windows won't go away via another channel, right? But that's a, an interesting.
1: Uh, you know, there's lots of interesting, interesting distinctions you made there. That is is the most
2: securable mm-hmm. right? platform. Yeah, yeah. Um, as uh, someone who's uh, <laughs> uh, grown up in the security space, uh, uh, certified information security professional, and all all that fun stuff. Uh, and of course, someone who's spent a while doing uh, uh, design work, we, we, back in, we back away from making uh, guarantee kinds of statements. Right. And you, know, uh, you look at marketing slides and you see Linux without risk. And man, that just gives me the shivers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but
2: that said, if you roll up your sleeves and you do the work at all levels with the HMC, with VM with your Linux guests, with your cloud infrastructure, this thing is airtight. Um, and you know, even uh, you look at uh, Prism, uh, the logical partitioning and its uh, EEL5 rating leaning on uh, isolation as, compo- as compared to VM's flexibility, uh, I- I've always found that to be better than an air gap because do you know what can walk across an air gap? A person? A person. <laughs> you can't put a person in between LPARs. Right.
0: And that's a good thing. Yes. Because, you know, when it comes to security, Lex Luthor's father was right. People are no damn good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, uh, this job would be easy if we didn't have people. But
0: uh. <laughs> I'd like to go back to something you, you mentioned earlier about when we were talking about this, um, the dynamic crypto stuff. Mm-hmm. I have multiple guests and they're now able to access uh, a particular crypto card, how do you manage keys in an environment where people are sharing that crypto card?
2: So the way that the crypto cards work is that you can carve them up into individual pieces, Uh, uh, crypto resources. Don't they stop working then? No, they're just that good. Oh, wow. That, that's where that FIPS 140 2 level 4 thing comes into play. Oh, that's play. the dash 2. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That's the cut you make when you jump. Uh, you right. Yeah. Wow. But but since they have uh, all these logical queues, uh, these domains on the crypto cards, you can partition them off into little bits, store keys in each of those little places, uh, connect those to any LPAR on your keck that you would like. Uh, you may want to keep track of just where you put those things, <laughs> right? Uh, because if you don't follow any kind of logical pattern, then uh, you're going to be really confused in about two years when mm-hmm. you need to migrate to your Z15 and. Uh, we're, you know trying to remember well what what domain was that, that that I put the like
1: when you're wiring a house and you're like oh I'm just gonna I'm gonna tap into this circuit for this thing and all of a sudden
2: turning off the power for the garage also turns off the, <laughs> all the yeah, you, you, you fu- yeah pers- exactly like that or you know you, you plug in something upstairs and then you know lights out in the garage come on and, yeah
1: <laughs> yeah but I
2: know this one works
1: and I can get to it. <laughs> But you probably wouldn't want to be mixing um, like logical or business, go, uh, staying within logical or business lines for what you put on there, like a Coke and Pepsi kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you figure
2: the uh, with the Coke and Pepsi thing, ZVM uh, does a support multi tenancy as part of its an environmental structure, and that's a rack F control. Uh, the assignment of uh, of crypto domains is handled on a virtual machine basis, and and that's controlled tightly in the directory. Uh, it can only be done dynamically or statically by an authorized ZVM administrator, so someone who's uh, working at a level underneath the, uh, the security labels uh, your, or your, uh, your cloud admin or CSP, if you will. So they will, they will get stuff set up, connect uh, domains either to the hypervisor or to the guest uh, through that simulation path that I mentioned, and then you can get keys stored in either by plugging them in uh, down at the hardware level, uh, TKE or all those fun products, or uh, there are a bunch of cloud services available now that start to distribute key material into IBM Z or Linux One platforms. Boy, there's a lot of layers. <laughs> there, there really are. It is a, a, a security cake, if you will. <laughs> um, yeah, with mm-hmm. one, you know, um, mine is carrot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> damn right. <laughs>
0: And in, in, you you mentioned now that uh, – because this this idea is kind of important to me. I can be using a tool that's higher up in that stack mm-hmm. to start managing down. How do I secure those?
2: Uh, the, the fun thing about the journey to cloud has been getting people to realize that the cloud is not the same thing as the virtual infrastructure layer itself. Uh, so everything that you're doing at ZVM is going to be vital and fundamental to having a secure cloud. Uh, again, the garage door. But um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've uh, taken care of, you know, all the other paths because the cloud is going to have its own list of users, it's going to have its own list of functionality, and those things will get driven through APIs that uh, either Linux or VM or even, in some cases, the hardware uh, supports, and those things get locked by RECF or other ACL formats. They get encrypted by TLS as they're passing through the hypervisor layer, and uh, they're uh, The identities associated with them are managed either in RECF or LDAP type formats or in uh, uh, something called Keystone up at the OpenStack layer if you're familiar with the cloud side of things.
1: From a virtualization security um, architecture perspective, does it make sense to kind of think about – I'm going back to these layers. But does it kind of make sense to to say what happens above here? Somebody else, some other process is managing and I don't have to think about it and
2: this is my cutoff point. to to isolate things? It it may be the same person managing them depending upon your your work environment, but it doesn't have to be. and It probably to some extent shouldn't be because it represents a a different type of workload, um, different business processes, et cetera. And that's part of why we draw our common criteria boundary the way that we do. We say, okay, the things that are VM and the services that we, IBM, provide as part of that, those are the things we're making claims about. And very often times, uh, the VM administrators at uh, client shops will manage those things. They may have some general Linux admin types of uh, responsibilities, but they may not necessarily be involved in uh, infrastructure as a service or platform as a service higher up in much the same way that they're not always involved in, say, uh, uh, doing uh, DASD uh, cabling or managing firmware or re- <laughs> hooking up the water to your uh, your water cooling
0: supply. Mm-hmm. So in this model, you, you're you really talking about a person or a set of people who really live the floor below all the guests and manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that usually a very small group of people or, you know, do we have as many managers managing the, the VM environment as people managing the guests?
2: It's uh, – it will – it, it it depends
0: uh oh, yeah the ibm I, answer
2: uh, well uh, i'm uh, uh required by contract to mention that at least once an episode good okay. ding check <laughs> uh, and and what it depends upon is uh, uh frankly the number of guests uh because uh, you look at vm and i think bill uh gave the uh, the analogy of how many rocks can you carry right back in episode 17 yes <laughs> <laughs> which is a good number to know, uh, but <laughs> you know some people may not be str- as strong as you, Jeff. Yeah, uh, which means that you know they may be able to carry less or Frank or they may have a whole bunch of tiny little rocks that they just kind of bundle up in a, a package, and this metaphor has clearly gotten away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I painted a picture though. <laughs> so beca- because of that. The uh, the administrative aspect is going to be uh, a a little different. You don't often need very many ZVN administrators, unless uh, required by policy. Uh, If you if your contracts require that you separate workloads by personnel, then that's going to matter. If you have a uh, policy from your BISO's office that says, okay, your, your system programmer cannot be the same thing as your RACF administrator, then suddenly you have another person in the mix even at the virtual infrastructure layer itself. And then depending upon your, uh, <laughs> the number of departments and organizations you have and under the broader banner of your company, uh, institution, world government, et cetera, then uh, that's going to replicate at the Linux level and then at the cloud level and then up and down the chain Depending.
1: So be, before we wrap up, you know, I, I see a, a whole lot of uh, people here this week. Um, and I also noticed uh, right around the, the area where you're, you're, you guys are all hanging out, guys and girls, folks, there's this fancy looking – looks like a, like a soft serve ice cream machine. That's, it's all gold and encased. Uh, like what's, what's going on with that? Does that have anything to do with what you guys are talking about? It does. Oh. That, and
2: uh, it uh, has to do with uh, quantum computing. Oh, that's why it was making that noise, <laughs> and why no ice cream came out. Uh, there was ice cream there; you just had to observe it the right way. <laughs> that was a quantum joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: but it's not—it's either vanilla or chocolate, owns, or both. Owns right. of
2: Higgs boson uh, berry. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason we're talking about it is because uh, in in the future, your vanilla and your chocolate ice cream may be in danger uh-huh. uh, because quantum computing. Uh, by the nature of uh, what it does, uh, allows you to solve certain types of problems really, really fast. That includes uh, prime factorization, which is a fundamental component of how asymmetric encryption works today. So all your RSA and DSA and elliptic curve keys, uh, when we hit the point where quantum computing becomes as easy to use as uh, as the cloud, then uh, we're going to have to make a bit of a switch <laughs> in how we do security all around the world. Uh, so we're talking rather excitedly about, about that, <laughs> with, with some degree of urgency, yeah. because uh, you know the. I mean, it, it's a ways away. No, nobody, nobody panic.
0: <laughs> but
2: but you know we're we're talking about it now, so that uh, when the day comes to have the switch over, you don't have to panic. And kind of, and having that right outside the door
1: is a kind of a way of reminding everybody, like. This thing, it's this there. thing. Don't forget. <laughs> <Yeah>. da, da. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now we're getting to the top of the hour. And um, I want to take this opportunity to thank you, Brian, for coming in and talking on the show.
2: Uh, well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Great. Old man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.